0: The disciples asked Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. He responded amazingly by giving two many parables that contain certain mysteries concerning faith that will cause your faith to grow exponentially. Find out what those mysteries are on this episode of Discover Your Spiritual
1: Identity.
0: On this episode, we are continuing the revelation of what it is to be the household of faith. That name for God's people is found in Galatians chapter 6 verse 10. Another translation refers to us as the family of believers, because the predominant quality in the sons and daughters of God should be this ability to believe in the face of impossibilities. That should mark us as the family of God. We have faith in the one who rose from the dead, who conquered the greatest adversaries of the human race. And so we of all people should live in victory. In fact, 1 John chapter 5 verse 4 says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so we should guard our faith and grow our faith. Now that leads us to the emphasis on this particular episode, and it's a very curious passage of Scripture, Luke chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. The disciples wanted to grow their faith, and so they asked Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. I've often thought about how I would respond to that request if I was the Lord himself, and it seems Logical that he would just work the most incredible miracle that they had ever seen, and it would cause their faith to just skyrocket. But instead, he gave two mini parables, two little parables that are quite opposite to each other, quite different from each other, to increase their faith. And I believe there are such valuable revelations contained in those two many parables. So let's examine them right now. Let's explore their meaning. Luke chapter 17, starting with verse 5, the disciples say, Lord, increase our faith. And he said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this sycamine tree, other translations say mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted into the sea, and it would obey you. What a strange way of increasing their faith. He said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, just a small amount of faith, an almost infinitesimal amount of faith, you could say to this sycamore tree, well, what does the sycamine tree represent? Just any kind of battle of the mind or of the emotions, any kind of challenging circumstance in your life. I get sick of mine. I'm sure you get sick of yours, I say that tongue-in-cheek. But you have to get sick of something before you can get rid of something. You have to quit putting up with it and say, now, wait a second, I'm a son of God. I have authority. I can speak in the name of the Lord and things can change dramatically. He said, you could say to the problem, why don't you quit talking to God about your problems and start talking to your problems about God? Don't lift up the problem, lift up the promise. Don't magnify the adversity and the impossibility, magnify the God that said with him, nothing is impossible. See, you can speak to this mulberry tree, to the sycamore tree and say, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it will obey you. Why would that increase the disciples' faith? Because I believe the disciples had a tremendous amount of faith in God's Word, but they had not yet learned faith in their own words. And I know that this is a controversial subject, but Jesus never would have said something like this if he didn't intend for us to act on it. There's some people that say that you're transgressing over into a place where you're robbing God of his sovereignty, that prayer should be pleading with God to intervene in your behalf. But I believe God wants his people to grow up, to mature, and to take the authority he has given us and speak as his representatives in this world. Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 24, Jesus said, have faith in God. Some have interpreted that verse to be more properly translated, have the faith of God. Have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, specifying what you want, not just any mountain, but this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Once again, if you act on that passage of scripture, people will say you're robbing God of his sovereignty. I believe that's a false humility, and it's shifting the responsibility totally to God, because once again, God wants his people to mature. You want your children to grow up and learn how to do things for themselves. You don't want to always do everything for them, because part of your joy as a parent is seeing them grow into adulthood, where they can assume responsibility. And assume authority. I believe God's the same way. Now there are counterbalancing factors and counterbalancing scriptures. For instance, in Lamentations chapter three, verse thirty-seven, the scripture says, Who is he? <coughs> excuse me, who is he who speaks? And it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it. Hmm who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it. So that seems to absolutely nullify and cancel what Jesus said about speaking to the sycamine tree or speaking to the mountain. But I see in this passage of scripture that we must first find Areas where God has given us authority and then act on it. And so we're not indiscriminately just speaking in authority in any area that we particularly want to see happen. We line up, we align with God's word so that our word and God's word are parallel tracks. And then the miracle can run on those tracks. And so you have to find something in God's word that verifies and validates the declaration you're making. For instance, suppose you're speaking against sickness, against disease, then you dare to say, it is written with his stripes you were healed. And if I was healed, then I am healed. And so you're acting on something that's already established in the written word. That's how Jesus faced off with the devil. He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. Three times he always resorted to the written word as he was making an authoritative statement in the living word. The written word and the living word flowed together. Well, what about the statement where Jesus said, I give you power over all the power of the enemy? I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. Well, then, on the basis of that, you can take authority over the enemy and not just beg God to move the enemy back from your life. See, God wants this for you. You're the household of faith, not the household of beggars. But the household of decreers the household of men and women of faith who know how to take a stand let me take you to jude chapter 1 verse 9 that talks about how the devil contended with michael the archangel over the body of moses have you ever wondered why satan wanted that body there could be a couple of reasons number one The children of Israel had just come out of an Egyptian culture that mummified their leaders and deified their leaders and built shrines to their leaders. And quite possibly the reason God buried Moses and kept it in an undisclosed location was because they would have done the same thing with Moses and they would have given undue, almost idolatrous reverence to that prophet of God. Or it's possible that the devil wanted to somehow do a mock resurrection, inhabit Moses' body, and mislead the children of Israel. That's a little far-fetched. I think the first explanation is probably the right one. But listen, Jude 1.9 says, Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation. He didn't resort to calling the devil names. He didn't bring against him a reviling accusation. He simply said, the Lord rebuke you. Now, that sounds, in some people's estimation, like Michael stepped outside the boundary of what is correct. He should have said, I, Michael the archangel, rebuke you in the name of the Lord, but instead he said, the Lord rebuke you. How could he do? dare to make such an authoritative statement, because number one, he knew who he represented, and number two, he knew that he had delegated authority from God in that situation. God could have done it himself, but he wanted Michael the archangel to be his emissary, to be his representative, and to speak just as God would speak if he was there personally. The same is true for us. I know many years ago, actually it's been about 35 years ago, I had a visitation of Satan. I woke up in the middle of the night and he was standing at the foot of my bed. He didn't look like so many uh, pictures depict him. He didn't have red skin. He didn't have horns. He didn't have a long tail with an arrow on the end of it. He didn't have a pitchfork. In fact, Quite the opposite. He had a very dark, swarthy, handsome appearance and slick back black hair, long black cloak. The thing that gave him away though was his eyes. I've never seen hate coming from eyes like I did the devil that night. And his eyes were saying, I'm going to ruin you. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to totally devastate your life my mind flew trying to think of how to respond to this prince of darkness standing right before me. And before I could think about what to say, the Holy Spirit rose within me with fire. And he spoke out of me, uh, well, actually in thought form to begin with, because I was paralyzed. I couldn't move. I couldn't open my mouth. But what I heard from Satan was in thought form, and I responded to him in thought form. And in my thought, I said, I conquer you, Satan, through the precious blood of Jesus. It is impossible for you to win. Notice I did not say, oh God, please conquer the devil for me. I said, I conquer you, Satan, but listen to this phrase, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the blood of Jesus. I used his name, and I mentioned his blood. I conquer you, Satan, through the precious blood of Jesus. It is impossible for you to win. When I said that the first time, a look of prideful mocking was wiped away from his face, and in his place was a look of terror. Uh, Up until that point, he looked at me as if you have no power over me, but when I mentioned the blood of Jesus, he was terror-stricken. And I said it a second time, or the Holy Spirit spoke it out of me a second time, I conquer you, Satan, through the precious blood of Jesus. It is impossible for you to win. And his eyes began melting into his cheeks, and then his whole face began melting into his neck. I said it a third time, with even more force, with even more authority, burning in me. And I said, I conquer you, Satan, through the precious blood of Jesus. It is impossible for you to win. And I watched his whole body melt in front of me. And he's never been back in that manifest way since. I learned something about the way God wants us to respond to negativity and adversity and opposition and persecution in this life we've got to speak as oracles of God. That's First Peter 4.11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And that means to speak as if God himself is speaking out of you. See, God referred to Judah in the Old Testament as his dominion. That means that over which he has authority. But because God exerted dominion over, over Judah, Judah on the battlefield could be a vehicle of his dominion and conquer the enemy. Under God's dominion, we become vessels of expressing his dominion. And that's what God gave Adam in the beginning. He gave him dominion. And if he had dominion, he had the ability to make choices and decisions under the inspiration of God as God's representative. He spoke with authority in the Garden of Eden. And the same is true now. So what if you decree something, though, and it doesn't happen? Well, what if you're in a baseball game and you swing a bat at a ball and you don't hit it? Do you fall on the ground and grovel in the dust and Weep over missing it and say, I'll never try again? Or do you keep swinging the bat until you connect and knock it over the fence and make a home run? See, Babe Ruth was not only the home run king, he was also the strikeout king in the league of that day. He missed it more than anyone else, but when he hit it, he knew how to hit a home run. And the same way is true when we make decrees and declarations and confessions. Sometimes you'll connect, sometimes you won't connect, but don't quit using that method. All right, let's go to the second parable. And this is the one that is the most challenging to understand. The disciples said, Increase our faith. And first, Jesus increases faith in their own words. They already have faith in God's word, but he wants to increase faith in their spoken words. But then he takes them to a many parable about unworthy servants. He says, And which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper, and gird yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk? And afterward you will eat and drunk. Does he thank that servant? because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you've done all those things which you're commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which is our duty to do. How in the world could that increase faith to say, I'm nothing but an unprofitable servant? I stumbled over that when I first read it. I thought, that's not increasing my faith. That's decreasing my faith to have a self-demeaning attitude like that. But then I realized something, that sometimes we miss it and fail to see fruit from our faith because we attribute whatever we want to happen to our own efforts. It's like praying for someone and saying, oh God, heal sue of this condition, because you know, Lord, she served you. She's gone to church faithfully. Well, that's not the basis of what bought her healing, paying her tithe, going to prayer meeting, going to Bible study, going to church faithfully. That's not what bought her miracle. The crucifixion bought her miracle. And sometimes when we pride ourselves over being what we think are profitable servants, then we could shift the credit from the cross to our own self-effort. And that diminishes faith instead of increasing it. Because if your faith is in yourself, that's a shaky foundation. But if your faith is in the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus, that is an unshakable foundation for your faith. And so it's not really self-degradation or self-condemnation to say we are unprofitable servants. It's like just being on a level of a constant commitment to faith in what Jesus purchased for us. And our goodness is no nothing to compare to his goodness. Our righteousness is like filthy rags compared to his righteousness. And so the fact that we can become the righteousness of God in Christ is no credit to us. We just put our faith in the cross. That's the foundation of our faith. And if we do everything in life God's commanded us to do, none of it happened because of our goodness. None of it happened because of our abilities. It's all grace awakening ability in us. So let him get all the glory. Let God get all the credit. Let God get all the praise. And I believe having that mindset increases your faith because it's not so dependent on you. It's altogether dependent on him. So those are the two many parables that Jesus gave to increase our faith. And I certainly hope it's increased your faith because you're part of the household of faith. You're supposed to be people of faith. And I urge you to review your life and review your reactions to what you're facing in life right now. Are you reacting in doubt or are you reacting in faith? Are you reacting in fear or are you reacting in faith? And if you think maybe doubt and fear have too much control over you, then start cultivating faith not only in God's word, but in your own word, and don't make your dependency your own goodness and righteousness and obedience to God. Let your faith be founded on Jesus' righteousness, Jesus' obedience, Jesus' victory over death, hell, and the grave, because that is unshakable.